Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 102 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, great to see you again. Good to see you, Jason. So we talked last week about a possible ETF being approved and great news it was. So now we can all just retire and be, <laughs> be good, right? The, the end is here. <laughs> there's nowhere to go from here, right? So no, I, I think it's exciting. And there's, uh, I think, a lot of little drama that happened right around it, too, that I figured it'd be good to, to chat about, including what just happened, right? I mean, it was thinking this was the once this happened, the world would be where it needed to be. And I, I mean, I still think this is just kind of the beginning since it's been 10 years now since we've been trying to get a Bitcoin spot ETF approved. Yeah, I think spending a little bit of time kind of wrapping up how the ETF launch went and all of the, the SEC bungles and missteps. And I've got some notes on the first couple of days of performance. So yeah, let's start in the beginning where I guess the day before the ETF launched, the SEC's yeah. Twitter page got hacked in a SIM swap because they didn't have 2FA on for security on their account. And it's hilarious because everybody, you know, you don't get away with anything on Twitter when it, when it involves Bitcoin, because that's like where the Bitcoin nerds live. So they go back to the SEC Twitter account and pull the ones where it's like, use 2FA for extra security and trust the SEC for all of your news. Don't trust other sources. And meanwhile, the SEC before the before the ETFs published comes out with a post that says we've approved the Bitcoin spot, spot ETFs and then immediately had to retract it because somebody hijacked their account. So it, it was funny. I mean, so are we for sure that it was hijacked? I guess Anthony Scaramucci was saying that he actually thought Buddy at the SEC posted it just a little bit early and got their hands slapped <laughs> that it wasn't actually hijacked, although the SEC went to Twitter, I think, or X and said, hey, we're, we can't get into this. So I, I don't know if they're making it look like that, but that is kind of an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, it's weird that it happened the day before. <laughs> well, it happened the day before, like almost exactly 24 hours before. So if you did a scheduled tweet, if you're the SEC and you just did a scheduled tweet, the time made sense. Like the SEC immediately was like, Twitter security allowed this to happen. So guess what Elon Musk does? He gets the team to look at it and says, yeah, there's a user that's never posted from this account before, like an IP address that's never posted before. And they didn't expose that they don't have 2FA on. And so it looked like it looked like someone hijacked the login and didn't change the password, I guess, because they got it. But the SEC regained control like within minutes, it seemed like, which normally it's days or weeks. So it, it's definitely fishy and weird, and it should be embarrassing for the SEC. But it it looked like somebody kind of just did an easy hack job and got control of it. They also liked a couple like rando Bitcoin things. So there's a few things that were like out of line with what the SEC would do. Uh, so at my initial response was the SEC is so stupid. They posted that you know they front ran themselves and posted this. And then I was like, man, the SEC might be so smart because they they accidentally posted this to Twitter and rocked the price of Bitcoin. And now they can be like, look, this thing is completely manipulatable, exactly like we said. 
we po- can't possibly approve a Bitcoin ETF. And I think in the SEC's decision, it was a 3-2 decision with Gary Gensler being the swing vote to approve the ETFs. One of the dissenting opinions mentioned that tweet in uh, saying, hey, this is why we can't release the Bitcoin ETF is because, you know, the, the market's too manipulable. But like, I don't know that you can do that when you're the reason, when you're the one that manipulated the, the account because you're the SEC. I mean, you know, so anyway, that's uh, probably one of the more like, yep, the government still sucks at everything kind of moments. Well, it's funny, too. There were a couple of Coinbase executives that came out and said, hey, if you're having problems with Twitter, we run a, a crypto exchange and we want fair regulation to be ha- or fair trading to ha- be happening. So we're happy to help you with your Twitter issues. <laughs> and the funny part is the SEC is actually suing Co- Coinbase so for the come, come in and say, yeah, hey, we'll help you out. It, it's just kind of a slap in the face, I feel like. But it was yeah. That's what they should do. The SEC should get as much heat as they can as they can muster. But the next day, it's actually approved, and everybody just kind of laughs that off and moves on. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the next day. I mean, and the next couple of days, and and where the early winners and losers were. I mean, there's 13 different ETFs or whatever it is, right, that are now approved. We've talked about how GPTC had such a huge amount already there. Oh, their fees were going to be humongous. So everybody was wondering, are people going to be leaving BTC in droves and going somewhere else? And I mean, it seemed like the winner uh, after day one. So I think the total amount that flowed into ETFs was about 625 million, right? So, which is not, not huge, but it's probably one of the largest day ones of any ETF ever. Uh, out, out of that 625 million that came in, 95 million of it left GBTC. So... A little bit, but compare, considering that they have, what is it, three billion, three three trillion? What did what did they have in there? I'm gonna have to do the math because they had like six hundred twenty thousand Bitcoin, right? So I think that's three trillion. Uh, twenty twenty, basically twenty eight billion. Twenty eight billion. Okay, Tw- uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So. Trust me, ever since trillions came in to get normal, <laughs> it's it's gotten easier to mix up millions and billions. Uh, it, it was easy. To, it was real easy to get keep millions and billions straight when billion was like the biggest number you ever talked about, and yeah. a, a trillion just made it a lot tougher. I guess it makes sense when the total market cap is just over a trillion. It can't be uh, three trillion, anyways. Right. Uh, so Bitwise seems to be kind of the the big winner there, and Fidel was actually number two, and it looks like BlackRock was number three. So interesting to see who who's winning right now. I mean, it's still early on. Time will really tell what kind of happens from there. But I actually had the same thing in my notes. Like Bitwise did really well. You know, they're a yeah. they're a crypto native. You know, they're not a big bank historical legacy finance player, but they did surprisingly well. They advertised well, and I think I, I don't know who you know the, the the data because it's like legacy finance rails. Some of these ETFs settle in T plus one, like the the day plus one day a few days for us to figure out really where this money came and went because you might you might trade and then it settles in 24 to 48 hours later so it's it's going to take a little while for this stuff to shake out uh, but the thing that i think is important is one all of the etfs got approved including gbtc <clears throat> gbtc brings a ton of bitcoin liquidity into the 
the general Bitcoin ETF liquidity pool. And on day one, they saw $4 billion in total volume across GBTC and all the ETFs. And so that's enough volume that if, you're a fair, if you want to get a fairly large position into these Bitcoin ETFs, that you would feel comfortable being able to get out of that position without rocking the price. GBTC brings enough liquidity that you would be able to get a large position in the first place. So I think in general, now I think that everything will settle out. I think over time, you're going to get people moving money from GBTC and the other things. I can't imagine a ton of people other than some profit takers that have been in GBTC for years. I can't imagine that a lot of GBTC turns into dollars. But I think you'll bleed out some because of capital gains tax. So if you're going from GBDC to somewhere else, you're going to be paying 20%, 15%, 20% in taxes. So I think there'll be some some losses there. But I think a lot of people, if you've got a lot of gains, like, man, do I really want to pay capital gains tax or do I want to just pay an extra percent every year for a little while and see what happens? So I'm curious to see kind of what happens there. I I, I felt like I wanted to see you know, one to two billion dollars in volume and we got four. And now a lot of that's kind of a, a GBTC rollover volume. About half of the four was GBTC. So we still got about two billion in volume. I think that's that's enough volume to to raise the raise the flag that says, hey, we there's enough interest. There were seven hundred thousand individual transactions in the first day. So not everything's big money moving and so you've got kind of some organic money moving around plus some bigger stuff. The $7 billion came off of the Coinbase OTC that day. So that's there. There's some big buyers over the counter. So that, you know, there's, there's a lot of good signs. I don't think that it, well, one, they've never released 11 Fs in the same day for the same asset class. It's just never happened. So you've never analyzed the first day of an ETF by saying, okay, well, if you add up all 11 ETFs and then you have this weird GBTC, you know, discount to the numbers that you see in total volume, you got to kind of, kind of withdraw some of the GBTC stuff, but you don't really know where it went. So it's, it's been, it's, it's going to be tough to evaluate. I think a month from now, we'll look back on the, and and be able to figure out really kind of how things went. I don't think you can say it was a failure. I think you could say it was okay, and I think you could say it was good, but I, I don't think you could say it was a flop. And so uh, to me, I, I I feel like it's kind of the, the end of the beginning for Bitcoin. Like all of the first 15 years was, hey, you got to do something new to get a hold of Bitcoin. You got to get onto Coinbase. You got to go to a Chinese exchange. You got to do, you know, you have to mine with your laptop and then later buy an ASIC and all these different ways to get Bitcoin. Now that's like secondary. Now it's open to people that know how to trade stocks. And do they have actual Bitcoin? No, they don't have an address. They don't have a wallet. They don't have private keys, uh, but they do have a way to actually get exposure that they didn't before. So, uh, so I, I think, I think that's the important part of the launch of the ETF. And I don't think that day one, day two performance of the ETF is all that important now that it wasn't a flop, now that it wasn't just just a nothing news story. So so that that's kind of that's my take on on the Bitcoin ETF. Well, another interesting piece to all of this is we kind of thought this would unlock a lot of ability to get money into Bitcoin. 
But you look at like Vanguard. So Vanguard has $7 trillion, and it is a tr T trillion with a T, of assets under management, and they are not allowing any of their customers access to the Bitcoin spot ETFs. So, I mean, there's, I, I know they're not going to get all $7 trillion of it in there, but still, that's a, one of the <laughs> top, what, three or four largest asset managers that is not giving their customers access to Bitcoin. So I, I'm wondering what this does to Vanguard. Do people leave Vanguard and go somewhere else? Because yeah, I don't think, I don't think that there's enough people that are single issue voters on Bitcoin to, to leave Vanguard for this. I think it, it's kind of, it restricts Vanguard diehards from getting Bitcoin exposure. But if you look, Edward Jones didn't let their trader, their financial advisors get their customers in the same with a Merrill Lynch. There's a, there's a lot of just trading houses that didn't let their customers buy it. I, I have a Schwab account, so I, I could buy some. And so I kind of rotated out of some other stuff and, and, and just, just to basically just be like, Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming. Here's, here's some, uh, here's a transaction with some money in it. But I, I think over time, you know, Edward Jones is, likely to let people trade. They just have to evaluate it, go through the process, figure it out and do all that, you know, normal stuff. And I mean, if you, I'm going to say some things like, it's like every, it's like everybody who works for a job have a kind of discount their autonomy. But for the most part, these financial advisors, they just take their lead from whoever their boss is. And then their boss takes their lead from somebody else. And basically when they build these portfolios, They've got a they've got a division within their group that says, all right, let's let's see what you know, let's build a portfolio for Bitcoin and then they'll go through, they'll run the iterations and then they'll launch it and say, Hey, you know, if you have people that want to that are interested in Bitcoin, then you know, we're get, here's here's three models. You know, sixty percent equities, thirty-eight percent bonds, two percent Bitcoin, or fifty-eight, thirty-eight, four. And then they just do do do. They reallocate uh, their funds and it goes into Bitcoin and it's like it's not a it's not an emotional process. It's just like all right, you're now in our yeah. I think there's one of the Swiss banks that wasn't going to allow some of their customers that didn't have high risk to buy Bitcoin uh, for a little while and they'd have to almost change their preferences. So yeah, it, I think it's it, like like you said, it's going to be a, a slow process. But I, I think the other big thing too is that the question is. Do we see a lot of the same ETFs that stay? I mean, if will 13 ETFs truly survive or will there be some that end up dropping out? And I mean, you're already looking, some of the fees are dropping. Franklin Templeton decided they wanted to be the leader and they dropped their fees down to be just under Bitwise's fees, right? So typically the fees never go back up. So it's going to be one of those things. Everybody's getting down to that area and below, uh, except for GPTC that's at one and a half percent. So it'll be interesting to see, does this push GPTC to start moving or will it, it not make a difference? I think GPTC will come down. don't know that they're going to fight to the bottom because they do hold all that liquidity and they are kind of, when you get that early lead, it's money doesn't move rapidly. You know, a lot of people just like to have it allocated in a certain spot and then it is what it is. And if you've been in GBDC for five years, you're up 700% and you're used to paying 2% and now you're paying one and a half. Yeah. So is it, are you really motivated because you went from 
having a really good performance with a high rate to a really good performance to a slightly lower, like to, to you know, now you're paying only 75% of what you used to pay. Are you motivated to go out for, to, to squeeze that down? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the flows say that most people aren't motivated to make that change or they would have been dumping harder. And I, even if they do dump harder, if they dump over time, it's easier for the market to, to kind of eat up this sale pressure from GBTC. I mean, the first two days, the, the other ETFs and Bitcoin kind of ate that, that sell pressure and did fine. I mean, we, for Bitcoin, you know, there's 900 Bitcoin coming on the market every day. So at about $45,000 of Bitcoin, you need about $40 million of, of new money in order to kind of break even on, on the, what's being mined in theory, right? Miners hold on to the Bitcoin. I understand that, but you know, in theory, that's what's coming in and that's what needs to be bought in order to keep the, the price stable. Well, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars every day coming in on just the ETF side and not even the native Bitcoin Coinbase exchange side. So, you know, you keep, you keep letting this stuff come in. And then as these other spigots turn on the Edward Joneses and the investing houses, and I mean, You've got to see corporations start to allocate some to Bitcoin. I mean, the the stock market was held up strictly by tech stocks last year. And arguably for the last 20 years has been one of the main reasons the stock market keeps growing. So those guys have known about Bitcoin forever. They've got to have it on their personal balance sheet. So for them not to be like, hey, guys, we need to put two to five percent of this corporate treasury onto Bitcoin and we just do it. Just buy ETFs. We don't have to do any weird tax stuff like Michael Saylor used to have to do. You just buy the ETF and then every quarter it goes up or down and it's only five percent of our holdings. You can keep the rest in cash or bonds or whatever. And so I think a few months from now, we'll start to see some of that move on. We'll get these investment houses. They'll get their houses in order as far as what they're going to do. And that's when I think you'll start to get to a steady state where X amount of money is coming in. And then as the price dips, people sell and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But uh, I think I think it's positioned well. I think it's given them enough enough reason to trust that there's a liquidity and volume if you wanted to get out of a big position. And so I, I don't see a problem uh, going forward. Last week, we also talked about Van Eck and them donating about 5% of their profits to a, a company that was supporting Bitcoin development. Bitwise, not to be outdone, I decided they're going to plan on donating 10% to open source Bitcoin development. And there's absolutely no strings to it. So I think they'll decide on which way they want to go. They've committed to donating for 10 years. They've also waived their fees until they get 10 billion of assets under management. So... I guess no surprise that they continue to win right now in this space. I mean, outside of GPTC, they're getting the, they're the fastest growing at this point And because they seem to be the most committed to, to Bitcoin and growing the whole ecosystem. Yeah, I think I heard the Van Eck guy talk about, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and we want to give a little back to the people that got Bitcoin to this point. And that's why they added that uh, little 5% kickback to the, the core devs and yeah, it makes sense for Bitwise to do it. You know, they're they're in on the on the Bitcoin side. Yeah, the other interesting thing that I heard was CoinShares is exercising their option to buy Valkyrie. So now that Valkyrie got approved, CoinShares has typically or mostly has a lot of European presence. So acquiring Valkyrie gives them the North American presence for ETFs. 
and they think that's an important thing now that the SEC finally approved the ETFs over here. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll see some consolidation. You mentioned not not all of these are going to survive. I think Wisdom Tree and the the Hex uh, ETF had really poor performances out of the gate. And so I think you'll see some shuffling uh, over the next year or so as people make some strategic decisions on whether to keep it or or dump the the ETF. Yeah, we've so I'm going to stop talking about ETFs. I think it's important that it happened and it's great, but it is not the end all be all. Like you said earlier, you don't own your own keys. So if something was to happen, you're still reliant on the traditional financial system. It doesn't trade 24 seven like Bitcoin actually does around the world on, on every other exchange. So you can't get in and out of ETFs whenever you want. You have to wait until the market's open. So there's still some caveats and you should still be trying to find a way to actually own some of your own Bitcoin outside of the ETFs. You agree? Yeah. And, and for the Bitcoin, you know, core Bitcoin folks, you, you've got to prove store of value before you can move to uh, medium of exchange. To me, this is everybody saying it's a store of value now. You know, the, it's BlackRock evaluated it, Fidelity evaluated it, the SEC evaluated it, rejected it. The court said, if if the futures ETF is good enough, then the underlying ETF is good enough. So I think that this, like I said, this is where things really start. And it goes into more mainstream adoption, even though it's through an intermediary. But we've talked about it a bunch. Being your keys and in self-custody is a hard thing for a lot of people to do. And this eliminates that. And it benefits the Salvadorians who have been collecting Bitcoin for the last 18 months or two years. So that's kind of how Bitcoin works, right? The people get in late, help the people that get in early. And... So, yeah, it's not exactly the way Bitcoin's drawn up, but if you're a Bitcoin purist, you knew that eventually banks and financial investments and the legacy financial organizations had to get in. And now they're starting to get in. So, you know, yeah, OK, you're going to be upset about it, but if it's going to if it doesn't happen last week, then it happens next year. You know, it, people have had 15 years to get into Bitcoin on their own. How how long of a, a heads up do you need to give people? You know, twice we've ramped up in 2017 and 2021. Everybody knows about Bitcoin. Everybody knows about Coinbase. It's been public. You had your chance. And if you're not in, that's that's on you. For, that's I mean, not to be kind of heartless about it, but that's, yeah. Well, it's in the news. Well, we, you could kind of argue that Bitcoin has not had a marketing department since it started, right? Other than just what's happened. And we kind of joked that they officially got one with Larry Fink becoming kind of the CMO for Bitcoin. And he even came on recently and said, it is no different from what gold represented for thousands of years. It is an asset class that protects you. I mean, so that's some pretty big words coming from the a president of, of BlackRock, right? And I think he went on to say, unlike gold, where we can manufacture it. We are almost at the ceiling of the amount of Bitcoin that will ever be created. So it's it's a big, big deal for him to come out and say that. Because to be honest with you, I still don't think there's a lot of people that understand that Bitcoin has a cap. Uh, as much as it is in the news, no one seems to, to grasp that point. No, I think there was a tweet by someone that 
seemed, maybe she was an economist that pointed out that each Bitcoin could be divided by a hundred million and that might as well be infinity. Why are we even talking about Bitcoin like this? And it was, you know, Twitter jumped on it as like, if you don't understand dividing a piece of, or dividing a pizza up by eight slices or 16 slices or 32 slices, I don't need to listen to you on macroeconomic events and how they impact the economy. So, you know, it's uh, the scarcity does matter. I mean, and the ETFs on board money comes in from a different angle. You know, if, if, you know, I feel like the ETF, the FASB rules that are now wide open are, are rocket fuel. You know, we're about to hit the halving. We're about to, we're about to meet uh, the old school crypto halving cycles with the, traditional finance now able to get into the game. And this will be the first cycle in which we could do that. So uh, to me, it's just got, there's more fresh or dry kindling to catch fire and, and light up a bull run that we would expect us to see towards the end of this year. So, you know, let's, let's go, let's get some company money and pension money and insurance fund money and, you know, interest rates likely to go down and QE likely to go up. So, you know, these are all pro Bitcoin price appreciation events and it's all just kind of building and we'll see how, how high the price can go, you know, assuming we see another four year cycle coming up. Well, you, you mentioned Coinbase being public, so everybody had their opportunity to hear about Bitcoin. I mean, Circle just filed for their IPO. And the question is, with this bull run on the horizon, do we see a lot more of these crypto-related companies starting to go public? And, and a, a big one, right, is Kraken. Kraken has been very well known for a lot of years, and they're an exchange similar to Coinbase, but they have an opportunity to, to kind of go public and, and even companies like Ripple, right? Ripple's been in the news quite a bit. So for them to go public, that'd be a big deal. And you got the Paxos's of the world that are issuing stable coins for a lot of these companies. Ledger and Treasure is doing all the hardware wallets. I mean, there's, there's some interesting stuff that could happen in the next 12 to 18 months because of all the hype going on, for sure. Throw in there the Ethereum spot ETF because the day after the Bitcoin spot ETF went live, Larry Fink's on CNBC pushing for the ETH ETF, like didn't even let the SEC catch their breath. And because the, the Ethereum has followed the same path as Bitcoin in that it has futures ETFs that are approved by the SEC. So the court says if futures are good enough, then the spot should be good enough. And they're going to have a tough time stopping that ETF from going live. So Guess what? I mean, it's, you know, it's on as far as, as money coming in from every angle. Yeah, we talked about that, I think, a little bit last week, and it was, I think, May of this year is kind of that deadline for the, yep. the first one. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> you're talking about four months away, right? It's it's not far at all. Oh, it's fast. But the dominoes keep falling, and there's been a ton of interest in XRP, too. So, could XRP and Solana be somewhat after that? I think it's probably a little bit further, but... Um, you're probably going to start to see a lot more than just a Bitcoin and Ethereum at some point. Yeah, I mean, XRP has the benefit of they've already been through a legal process that declared them not a security. So they've. I would think that they would be next behind the Ethereum ETF. So we'll see how it goes. I don't, I mean, 
The Bitcoin spot ETF shows you that it doesn't launch the price on day one, right? Getting that ETF. So for crypto people, they might shrug this off like, ah, okay. You know, they, they like to see 50% price explosions in one day. And they didn't get that when they got the ETF. So I, I don't know that they're clamoring to get their, you know, crappy token listed on as an ETF. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but it's, it's almost like it's just too slow and boring. Everything's too slow and boring in the real world for crypto people. BlackRock's, BlackRock's commercial for their ETF may be the driest, most boring, slowest commercial I've ever seen. Just one guy talking into the screen and all he's doing is reading from a teleprompter in the most feral words and phrases that were like legally scanned and approved about what he could say based on what the SEC allows. And it's like, but, you know, it, maybe it speaks to some older, wealthier people that is like, you know what? These are my people. These are some serious, this, somebody's serious and they're talking about Bitcoin and they're not telling me that it's going to the moon and it's going to replace the dollar in the next 10 years, you know? So I think, uh, I think that's, it's just, it, it's just a new, you know, we're shifting gears with crypto and you're still going to have the fast paced, crazy crypto meme culture on Twitter. That's never going away. But now you're going to have some really old, boring people talking about Bitcoin as uh, like them, you know, in the way that Bitcoin purists aren't going to want to hear it. Yeah. So you talked about Ethereum and we mentioned Celsius was unstaking a lot of their Ethereum here recently to help make sure they had liquidity to pay off some of their creditors. That caused, I don't know if that was the reason, but there was a huge spike in the amount of people that were trying to unstake Ethereum because of that. And I think the number of unstakers went up to 16,766 that were trying to unstake. And it's it's down to about 13 now, so it's, it's, it's kind of over. But you can only get rid of 13 unstakers per epoch. And for Ethereum, each epoch lasts like 6 and 6.4 minutes, something like that. So uh, it's crazy to see. If you look at the, the chart, there's that huge spike and it slowly comes down. But yeah, it's we're getting to the point where it's back to normal and... Now with this, some of the ETH spot ETF discussion, does it mean more people want to get back into the Ethereum ecosystem or what? So kind of kind of funny to hear about that. And there's Jason's commercial that's not meant for boomers to buy the <laughs> Ethereum ETF. If you start talking about epochs and unstaking, guess what, man? They're like, you know what? I'll just stick with my uh, stick with my equities. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Oh well, that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. So the other thing that was kind of interesting too, that, I mean, stable coins, we've talked about them for quite some time and Tether made the news again, the UN released a report that talked about that a Tether had become a prominent payment method for money laundering in uh, the Southeast Asia. So I don't know what's going to happen from this. I think there's still some work that has to be done. Tether at the same time, we talked about it what, last year that they had onboarded the Secret Service and the FBI and they've been freezing assets. And I mean, there's only so much. They they need some ideas of what the problems are too before they, they lock it up. They have locked it up. So yeah, stable coins will continue to be an issue with illegal activity, but at the same time, so is the U.S. dollar, and nobody can really track it. 
not. I think that that concern is real for people who are new to newly paying attention or lightly paying attention to crypto and stable coins and Bitcoin as something that, oh, the government's going to shut it down. And I think that that is kind of a barrier to entry for people that aren't really into it. But once you're deep into it, like, okay, you can actually go back and look at the numbers as to what percentage of transactions went into wallets that are flagged as problematic. And it's just less than 1%. And it just doesn't, it's just such a non-factor when you compare the amount of transaction volume that occurs on crypto versus the amount of transaction volume that occurs in US dollars. I mean, it's if you shut down all of crypto, it makes no impact to the amount of money going to for nefarious reasons. So it's 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 barking up the wrong tree. Well, and the problem for people that are trying to act nefariously is that all of these transactions are put on a public ledger for everybody to see. So this is not something that you're doing this and it's anonymous. It's not anonymous at all. So people can track you. It might be a little bit more difficult right now to track you, but it, it can be done pretty easily for for certain companies. So especially as time progresses and we start tying our digital identities to wallets and things like that, there's already some issues with what Europe's trying to do to make it they can track anybody. You know, it's kind of the opposite direction of what we want to go. Right? So we're allowing all this digital stuff and now they want to track every everything that anybody does. So hopefully Web3 can help fix this. But yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I mean, I guess the good news is stable coins are still one of those themes that is going to onboard a lot of people. And if you look at a lot of countries around the world, putting into stable coins and helping it with the devaluation of their currency is huge. And PayPal has had some recent announcements that they have their own stable coin that in the past 30 days, it's grown 70% of its market cap. So they're now, I think the 12th largest stable coin out there. I mean, it's still growing, right? I mean, they're what, a couple of months into being a stable coin, but as people start to become more confident with it, PayPal has a pretty big name and I could see it becoming a, a bigger piece moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a good example of a company trying something and see if it works. And if it does, then other companies will. But PayPal's, I would say PayPal's got good reason to do it. They're active in a lot of countries. And if they can get that proven, I, I think they can avoid a lot of friction that some of their users see and exchange rate volatility and paying fees and things like that. So, you know, Let's try it. We'll see if it works. I, I mean, I, I kind of like PayPal, like as a company, not not for crypto necessarily, but just for some of the things it's done, opening up commerce on online. I thought I think they they've done a pretty good job. They seem to be they seem to not be in the news for losing people's money, which is better than some people, and they don't create fake accounts like Wells Fargo and stuff like that. So not bad. Well, shoot, you and I have in previous business ventures have used PayPal to pay stuff internationally and it's expensive, right? So if they can get rid of a lot of those fees, then that's amazing. It's still, they're one of the better options to, to pay international people, but it's, it's not cheap right now. Yeah. But if you get, I mean, if you get ahead of these wires, these international wires that are super expensive and people start using PayPal instead, I mean, I hate wiring money. It's sure. probably my least favorite thing to do with a bank. And so I, if they could, if they could figure out a way to, to do that where it's cheaper than wiring and I can do it without having to go into a daggum bank and waste an hour of my life, 
I would, I, I mean, I would pay a, I might pay a premium to, to not have to do that. Yeah. Well, so I, I think this is probably the last time we'll talk about spot ETFs for a while. I mean, it's over with, it's done with the next couple of months. It'll be interesting to see what happens and we can kind of follow back up and see come March, how things have changed. But I think there's still a lot of other things that are going to start happening now that we've moved past this point in the crypto world. Yeah. I, th I think that the news will be so-and-so got Bitcoin expo exposure by buying an ETF, but the actual ETFs themselves I'm not, I'm not going to dedicate like a, oh, who, who's winning the horse race this week in Bitcoin volume and, and assets. Uh, it's, it's kind of, the, the news is, uh, the heavy news is behind us. And now it's going to be like slow, boring stuff. That's really, really good for Bitcoin. <laughs> so now I, I, yeah, I think, I think the big, the ETF starting is, is excellent. And now it's just going to be like slow growth. You know, we didn't even talk about other ETFs, putting the Bitcoin ETFs in their portfolio, which is, uh, you know, there's a ton of technology-based ETFs. There's, there's just, now there's a lot of ways for money to come into Bitcoin. That's, that's w what the ETFs mean. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? You know, it's funny. I, when Bitcoin's not doing much like it didn't do, I mean, all of last year, I don't think I got a single random text message from someone asking me about Bitcoin. And then on Friday, I get one that says, why is Bitcoin going down? I'm like, well, it, it plummeted all the way down to last week's price. <laughs> you know, like, why did it go down? Because people's, you know, traders trade and they sold the news. And but if you think that what's happened, the Bitcoin, the launch of the Bitcoin spot ETF is bad news for Bitcoin and, and the price should dump, then you shouldn't be involved in Bitcoin. Or you shouldn't pay attention to it, at least. You should just buy it and forget it and come back in a few years. Uh, so for me, short-term price, I, I responded to him that short-term price action is the least important thing about Bitcoin. It's the most publicized, but it's the least important. And so, you know, it's it's like, oh, I just wait, just see what happens in six months, see what happens in two years. Like, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but probably not wrong. <laughs> well. If you're wrong, then Michael Saylor is really wrong. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Hal, as always, great catching up, and we'll talk again next week. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.